Hi there. Welcome to the Carter Report and thanks for joining us to one of the most important programs of the whole series. Our topic is, does the church need a priest today? How do I get my sins forgiven? When I go along to church on the weekend, should I go along to the priest and confess my sins? How can I get my sins washed away? The topic is, does the church need a priest today? The Carter Report investigates the mysteries of the past as it seeks to interpret amazing predictions concerning our future. John Carter, scholar, writer, and traveler, invites you to join him as he unlocks mankind's most valuable treasure. Now, these, these are the questions that have come in just in one evening. I've got a, a stack of very, very interesting good questions on all types of subjects. And I'm planning to, to answer these on the, during the Saturday seminar. And you may wonder why we, we don't get through them all. Uh, it's just impossible to get through all of these. They're such good questions, asking such important questions. Now, here's one here that I'm going to answer tonight. And this came in last night, and I thought it was so important that I shouldn't delay this one. Why did sin need to be washed in blood? You know, friend, there's no more important question than that one. Why did sin need to be washed in blood? We're going to talk about that this evening as we talk about this great prophecy of the 2300 days. We're going to talk about something that happened on this earth in 1844, and we're going to talk about something that happened in heaven in 1844 also. Tonight is going to be one of the most amazing meetings that you'll ever come to. This is something, my friend, that very, very few people in the world comprehend or understand. And tonight we're going to go through it slowly, step by step, and I'm going to carry you with me, and we're going to have a wonderful time. You know something? God is going to come and bless us. I believe that God's Spirit has been wonderfully manifested in these meetings, don't you think? I believe that God has been here. I'll never forget. I'll never forget that marvelous meeting last Saturday night when God really came and moved in that meeting. Wasn't that great? Now, we're going to have another wonderful meeting tonight, and we're going to have it because we believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I want you folk now, please, to turn with me to the book of Daniel. Over here again to the book of Daniel. And we're going to turn to our key passage, which is Daniel 8 and verse 14. And this meeting is going to answer the question first and foremost, why does sin need to be washed in blood? That is what we're going to talk about. Please notice it. We want you to see it there too. We want everybody here in this great auditorium and so many of you here on this Monday evening when all the rest are out watching the ball game. We're glad that you folk decided that this was more important than a game of, what is it, football? Well, this is a little more important, I think. Daniel 8, verse 14, have you got that verse? Daniel, the 8th chapter, and it's the 14th verse, and we're going to take up where we left off last night. Let me see the hands of the folk who came last night. Let me see your hands. Let me see if there's anybody here who didn't come last night. Put up your hands. I just wish you well, because you're going to find this solid going. 
Uh, I'm not going to go through what we went through last night. That was a big meeting, wasn't it? We are simply going to pick it up from where we left off last night. Daniel 8, verse 14. And the Bible says, and here is the angel talking to the prophet. After the picture of the great apostasy of the dark ages, verse 14, he said, Daniel 8, and he said unto me, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed or vindicated or restored. And we're going to talk about that tonight. I want you to come down now to another verse in the context, verse 16 and verse 17. We always like to take the, take the context because, as you know, a text without a context is a pretext. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You're very good. Verse 16 and 17, And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, on this, beside the river, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. Tell Daniel what it's all about, the vision of the 2300 days. Verse 17, So he came near where I stood. When he came, I was afraid, and I fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, son of man, that the vision refers to what time the Bible says, the time of the end. Now, I'm going to come over to the blackboard, and I thought I had so much to put up, I'd start a little early tonight. So, we're going to come over here to the blackboard, and we will remember that the great time period of the 2,300 days. I didn't write this down, did I? No, I don't think I've written down 2,300 days. Well, the great time period of the 2,300 prophetic days, or 2,300 literal years, the Bible tells me in Daniel chapter 9, that commenced with the decree of what king? Oh, that's excellent. Artaxerxes Longjamanus. And Artaxerxes, the Persian king, in the year 457 B.C., made a decree that the old city of Jerusalem should be entirely, completely, and absolutely destroyed. And then you'll remember last night also we talked about the 70 weeks prophecy, the 490 years that are cut off from the 2300, and that brought us through to 34 AD. And we will remember in 34 AD, that was the year when the Jews stoned Stephen and the gospel then went to the Gentiles. Remember? And also, too, you'll remember the Bible said there would be 483 years. I haven't put all this down. We talked about this last night. 483 years from 457 B.C. And that brought us through to the great year 27 A.D. And according to the prophecy of Luke chapter 3 and verse 1, Jesus Christ walked down the muddy banks into the river Jordan and the great clock of heaven was striking and when the clock of heaven was striking, Jesus came and Jesus said, The time is fulfilled. That's what Jesus said. Jesus, my friend, was referring to the prophecy of Daniel 9. Jesus said, The time is fulfilled, and God has called me, John. 
and the time has come for me to take up my work. And the Bible says, Jesus was about 30 years of age. Jesus was about 30 years of age in 27 AD when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Because as you would know, or do you know, Jesus was born around 4 BC. Did you know that? That's a little stunner, isn't it? I'll talk about this this coming Saturday when I speak on the strange origin of Christmas, Easter, and Lent. Jesus was born in the days of Herod the Great, and Herod died, according to modern reckoning, March 4 B.C. So Jesus was born before March 4 B.C. And so if you add that on, don't look at me like this. Am I confusing you? This is absolute history. This is a fact. Nobody really knows when Jesus was born. He certainly wasn't born December 25. We do know that. I'll talk about that on Saturday. But Jesus was born March 4 B.C., at least before March 4 B.C. And if you add that on to 27, he was about 30 years of age. Now, so Jesus was born around 4, 5, 6 B.C. He was baptized in 27 A.D., Jesus preached the everlasting gospel, healed the sick, and did his wonderful work of, of ministry to this world for three and a half years. And then, my friend, in the midst of this last week of the 70 weeks, Jesus in 31 AD was nailed to the Roman cross. Jesus, my friend, was born on time. Jesus lived on time. Jesus was baptized on time. Jesus preached on time. And glory be to God, Jesus our Lord died on time. Did you know that? Did you know they killed the Passover lamb at 3 o'clock in the afternoon? And when they were about to slay the Passover lamb, as the high priest lifted up the knife that would soon be drenched with the blood of the Passover lamb that represented Jesus, as the Passover lamb was about to be slain, the veil in the great temple was torn from top to bottom. And God said, it is enough because dying on the cross was the Passover lamb. And Jesus, my friend, hung his head and, he, and just before he died, he cried out, Father, it is finished. You know what Jesus was talking about? He was saying our sin was finished when we come to him. The Bible says in Daniel 9 that Jesus would bring in everlasting righteousness. I want you folk to know this tonight. Listen. Because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins, God has brought in everlasting righteousness. And when you and I come to Jesus, Jesus says, I give you right now my everlasting righteousness. And you stand in my sight as though you had never sinned, justified by faith. And God says, as far as I am concerned, your sins are gone. They are nailed to the cross. Isn't that great? I tell you, friend, Calvary is everything to me. Calvary is everything to any Christian who really knows Jesus Christ. The greatest truth in the Bible is that God's own Son became a real man, affected by our sin, not infected with our sin. 
And when Jesus became a real man, he kept the law of God perfectly, took our sin upon himself, bore our sin, my friend, in his own body to the tree. And when we come to him, he says, I forgive you. Isn't that wonderful? I want you to know tonight that your sins are forgiven. I would like to say to you tonight, do you know for a certainty that your sins are forgiven and that you're going home to heaven? I want you to know tonight that we can know that. We can be certain that God has forgiven us our sin. That's the good news. That's what the gospel is all about. And Jesus, my friend, made this an accomplished fact when he died in 31 AD. Now, last night, as we went through this magnificent, this wonderful prophecy, we used our 490 years, the 490 years of Daniel 7. That left, my friend, 1,810 years, and we add that on to 34 AD, and that brings us through to this great prophetic date, and it is a great prophetic date. It brings us through until 1844. And the Bible said, after 2,300 prophetic days, or 2,300 years, the Bible says right here, God would do a mighty work. The Bible says that God would do a dual work. God would do a double work. He would do a work, my friend, up there in the heavenly sanctuary in the courts of glory, and God would do a work upon this earth. Now, you notice how the 2,300-day prophecy also comprehends and includes the great prophecy of the 1,260 days. You know the prophecy of the 1,260 days or years, prophetic days, literal years, and this time period, as everybody knows who came to the meetings on the Antichrist, that goes from 538 right through until 1798. That awful time period is what historians call the Dark Ages. And during that time, my friend, truth was on the scaffold. Error was on the throne. That was the time when the martyrs, my friend, were burned for Christ. And that's what we talked about last night, so graphically portrayed in Daniel chapter 8, where it says that the Antichrist would cast the truth to the ground and he would practice and he would prosper. And the angel cried out and said, How long, O Lord, is this going to go on for? How long is the very truth of God, the truth concerning the gospel, the truth concerning the law of God, the whole truth of the Holy Word of God, how long is this truth going to lie down in the gutters of Rome? How long until God rises in judgment and judges the little horn? How long until God restores the truth? That was the context. That was the question. And the answer came back, my friend, in a voice that sounded like the voice from Mount Sinai. The answer came back after 2,300 prophetic days, even until 1844. Then, my friend, notice it, there would be a total restoration of the truth at the time of the end. 
not at the end of time. My friend, it is senseless for God to restore the truth as Jesus comes at the end. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is going to restore the truth. And he would start to restore the truth from the time of the end, from 1844, right through, my friend, until the second coming. The great, grand, glorious gospel preached by the apostles reaffirmed by Martin Luther, the story of righteousness by faith, the story of the cross, that would be restored in its fullness. That is why we believe it. That is why we magnify the cross, you see. And at the same time, God would restore from 1844 until the very end the holy law of God which had been cast to the ground. So I say to you, as honest men and women, if you really want to find the truth in these last days, you must look, I say it to you, friend, in all love, in all honesty, and I say it with conviction. Listen, if you want to find the truth in the last days, you must find a movement that arises in 1844. Here, my friend, is a great prophetic movement that is going to arise with a total package of truth. And that great message is comprehended in the three angels' messages of Revelation 14. Now, what I want you to do is now turn with me briefly, because it must be brief, to Revelation 14. And verse 6 and onwards, I was going to put this on the blackboard, but I'm afraid I ran out of blackboard. Even though we have 32 feet of blackboard, I should have had 42 feet. Come over here to Revelation chapter 14 and start at verse, verse 6. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6. You know, it's great to see all the open Bibles. I say hallelujah. Thank God for these Bibles. Revelation 14, verse 14. I looked, and there's the white cloud, the coming of Jesus. But before Jesus comes, my dear Christian friends, notice verse 6. I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. Verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to Him, for the hour of His what? His judgment is come. This is a message, my friend, that arises in the last days and proclaims the judgment, and it says the judgment is come. Don't forget that, the judgment. Worship Him that made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Here, my friend, is a call to worship Christ our blessed creator and listen my friend the sabbath is the sign of creation so here is a call to keep the sabbath and then it goes on to say another angel followed saying babylon has fallen the great system of religious apostasy and then verse 9 the third angel warning against the beast the image the mark of the beast here is the great triple apostasy unmasked and verse 12 God's solution, friend. 
Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Listen, my friend. Listen, I want to make it plain. I want to magnify the truth. That message that we have read to you there is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel 8 that says how long. You see, here is the restoration message that arises in 1844 that unmasks the Antichrist who ruled in the 1260 days. Here is the message, my friend, that exalts the everlasting gospel. Here is the message that upholds the commandments. Here is the message that upholds the Creator. And here is the message that also upholds the seventh day Sabbath, the sign of our blessed Christ the creator of all, you see. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you are looking for God's true movement in the last days, you must find the movement that is preaching that message. Did you hear that? You must find a movement that is preaching the gospel. The same gospel that ta Paul taught. You must find a movement that calls upon people to worship the Creator God, you see, that doesn't believe in the monkey doctrine of evolution. You must find a movement that is saying to the world, worship God, for the hour of His judgment is come. Now that is so important that I'm going to come over here, this is how I get my exercise, I'm going to come over here and put up a part of that message. My friend, not only is that message upholding the cross, not only is that great message of Revelation 14 upholding the law, but that message says the hour of His, what does it say? The hour of His, his judgment, and the Bible says it in the present tense, the hour of His judgment is come. And that message would arise at the end of the 2,300 days. It would come up, my friend, in 1844, according to the sure word of Bible prophecy. You hear that? Listen, my friend. If you want to find God's true restoration message, look for a people who are proclaiming the gospel. Look for a people who are calling men and women to worship Jesus as the Creator. Look for a people, my friend, who are saying, the hour of His judgment is come. Look for a people, my friend, who are saying, keep the Sabbath, because that is the sign of the Creator. Look for a people who are warning against the beast. Look for a people who are preaching, my friend, about the image of the beast. Look for a people who are warning against the mark of the beast. And look for a people who are upholding the Ten Commandments of God. You hear that? You know, the trouble is with the truth, as one man said, it is too plain to argue with. This is the very truth of God. And my friend, any man who wants to see the truth will see the truth. And so, that's what happened on the earth. God raised up a movement, a latter-day movement, 
a prophetic movement, a Bible-based movement, a movement, my friend, that would preach the greatest message that this whole world has ever, ever heard. Not the most popular message. Oh, no. I tell you, my friend, if you go out and just tell people that Jesus loves them, the world and America is going to say, Hallelujah, Amen. But there's more to it than that, my friend. The Bible says, here are they that keep the commandments of God. You see. And we've got to preach. If we are going to do what God wants us to do, we've got to preach the entire message, whether it is popular or whether it is unpopular. So help us God. You see. And the people who are going to be ready for the coming of Jesus and the people who are going to go home to glory are going to be people, my friend, who love Jesus with all their hearts, all their souls, all their minds and who keep his commandments. And when Jesus comes, he's going to say, these people have walked with me down here on the earth. They're going to walk with me right through the gates of the new Jerusalem. You see? And I want you to be there. Don't you want to be there? Tell me. Don't you want to be there? Are you sure you want to be there? Do you believe it's God's message? And if, if it is God's message, my friend, let us follow the message of God. Let us believe the message of God. Let us have faith in the message of God. And let us step out by faith and follow Jesus and his truth.